Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, and with me, as always, is Carter Baines, who is Actually in studio or in office right now, we are side by side like old times. Carter, how are you? Yep, good to be back. Good to be back in Sherwood for the holidays. Uh, feels like old times, just like the beginning of the season when we were wrapping up fall camp. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad to be back in Sherwood. It's pretty sweet. I mean, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. I'm hosting. Carter, you're having Thanksgiving with your family. So uh, yeah, after we're, we nail this, I have to like get the table set and do a bunch of, you know, that kind of stuff. But... Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving food? Oh, probably the pumpkin pie. Okay. Costco's pumpkin pie is unmatched. So unmatched. That's that's the best part of the meal. And then leftovers? Have. Is that, you yeah, know? Yeah, of course. It's You always have to have the leftovers and watch the Civil War, so tradition. I'm not a, I am not a Thanksgiving food fan, so um, I am cooking, though, because my parents are coming up, my brother and his family are coming up, and my mom has to have tradition. We, we have to have the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes, all that stuff. I don't happen to, if it was up to me, we'd have like filet and a salad and that'd be glorious, but it is what it is. Turkey and stuffing's where it's at though. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so we have a good show for you today. It is Civil War week, which besides Thanksgiving, I think Beaver fans have some things to be thankful for, but the Civil War is always, I think a special time for a Beaver fan. It's that big rivalry week and Say what you will. I know there's a lot of people out there. I love Duck fans that say that they root for Oregon State every week but Civil War. I'm going to call BS on that. That's but not a true rivalry. That is not a true rivalry. Um, but first, let's talk a little bit. I know you don't really want to. I don't really want to either. But we'll just talk quickly about Washington State and what a heartbreaker gut punch that was. Oh, yeah, I'm still trying to recover from that one. Uh, it was a tough weekend. Just a lot of disappointment all around. Um you know, I, I was getting ready. I wasn't getting in uh, in bowl game mode, but now to have that, that last defensive drive go the way it did was just gut-wrenching. But how about all the turnovers? That, to me, I mean, I, I didn't like this matchup. and You and I talked about this matchup really since August, and that it just was probably the least favorable matchup for Oregon State's defense all along just because the secondary has struggled. And then you go against, you know, Anthony Gordon and, and this high-flying passing attack. I loved the turnovers, the aggression there. That was probably the brightest spot I saw. I was definitely concerned going into it because, like you mentioned, that's the strength of the Washington State offense is obviously the passing game and then the weakness of the Oregon State defense is stopping the pass. So it, it definitely lined up to be a situation where they're going to give up a lot of yards, they're going to give up a lot of points. And so the key going into that was, can they get Washington State off the field? Can they keep their offense on the field and uh, and kind of control the time of possession and whatnot? And they did that for the most part. You know, forcing a turnover on the opening drive I thought was a good omen for the rest of the game. And sure enough, you get guys coming up with big plays. Uh, you see Omar Spates coming up with a turnover to put the Beavers in position to take the lead late in the game. I thought it was huge. And I thought for the most part, even though they gave up 600 yards through the air and 54 points. That was one of the better games the defense has played just in terms of making plays everywhere on the field. I, I know they didn't get in the backfield as much, yeah. but we saw them make up for it uh, downfield. Yeah, that was probably the 
part where I was probably most surprised is just the lack of pass rush. I mean, Gordon seemed to have all day. And a lot of that comes back to Hamaker Rashid not being fully healthy. Um, he wasn't even on the field for a lot of the mm-hmm. game. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to blame it on his health because Washington but, State does have a very good offensive line. Yeah, and offensively, we saw the Beavers kind of do their resort back to that third quarter disappearing disappearing act. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's just frustrating that oftentimes they kind of struggle to put together a full game. But I mean, Luton made up for the rest of the game, and Jamar Jefferson had himself a day as well. That fourth quarter was spectacular. That was incredible. Almost thirty points in one quarter. My my phone was buzzing. Um, you know, I'm I went to Oregon State many many eons before you did, along with all my friends. And so all of my friends were even even those that aren't huge football fans more casual fans were starting to buy in again and kind of like, wow, whoa, what's going on? So that was pretty awesome. But they lost, so they have one more game to become bowl eligible. It's a a tough spot to do that It is such a tough spot, seriously. But before we go there, let's kind of transition a little bit because we have a lot of Civil War talk. Talk about basketball. Yeah, so Oregon State takes on San Jose State tonight in Vegas for the uh, Las Vegas Classic. The Beavers are trying to go 6-1, and one, which is, I mean, yet another really good start to the season. That's something that we've seen under Coach Tinkle. Um, it's just that the team gets off to hot starts in non-conference play, and you know sometimes it carries into the rest of the season, sometimes it doesn't. But, man, they have looked dominant at times so far, and there's a lot of improvement really on both sides of the ball and with a lot of starters and then obviously some talented newcomers. And I think this is a spot where Oregon State could put together a, a complete game and just blow San Jose State out of the water because right, that's a team that's struggled in recent years. Um, they're not having a great start to this season. I think it lines up to where Oregon State on national TV can kind of turn some heads. Yeah, yeah. And basketball's been, I mean, we're really kind of in that transition period right now. Football's kind of winding down. Basketball's starting to ramp up. I know you and I talked about it over lunch about Duke last night. Mm-hmm. Duke took an L. Mm-hmm. That was a crazy game. Well, and then Kentucky just a couple weeks yeah. ago got got stunned at home too. So, man, college basketball is just fun, and it's off to a really fun start this year. And um, I, I think both on a national landscape and in the state of Oregon, Oregon's a top fifteen team this year, and Oregon State's looking to make some noise in the Pac-12. They've got a real shot to make it to the tournament. Uh, it's a fun time, both on the men's and women's side. Yeah. Oh, I mean, definitely. look at the women's side. Both yeah. teams are in the top 10. Oregon's, you know, people are saying they could go undefeated this year. Yeah. Oregon State, I know with ESPN's bracketology right now, they've got them as a one seed if the season ended today. So just a fun time for basketball in the state. Yeah, yeah. I'm still the football fanatic that mm-hmm. I am. So, you know, I, I I love bowl season, especially if the Bees could be somehow playing in it. But um, that's what we'll be talking about that next week whether they're in or they're out. Um, I want to talk... Now, <laughs> this is going to be pretty maybe one-sided here because one of us has seen a lot of Civil Wars and one of us has not. Um, I've seen a lot of Civil Wars, just not many wins. Is the... Okay, there you go. <laughs> I wanted to talk some Civil War memories. What is your... I know you told me, like I said, we, we had lunch before as we were kind of mapping out what we were going to talk about today. And we talked about... Carter's only seen two Civil War wins. That just makes me sad. Yeah, well, two Civil War wins that I can fully remember. The first one being in 07, okay. James Rogers on that yeah. fly sweep. Uh, that's one of my favorite football memories of all time. And then obviously in 2016, 
uh, Oregon State breaks the streak and gets that Civil War win at home. That was the only game, that was the only Civil War win I've seen in person. Wow. Wow. Okay, so my favorite, so your favorite Civil War memory would then would be? Probably James. 16. Okay, 16. Yeah. The, the James Rogers play is probably one of my favorite plays of all time, uh, but overall games and just excitement and um, kind of the weight that that game held in 2016. I mean, let's be honest. We thought that the program was turning itself around after that game. We thought Anderson was the guy. They win two straight conference uh, games to end the season. I mean, it was it was a good time to be a Beaver until yeah. the next year ruined it all, but <laughs> uh, it was just a fun game to be at, uh, standing all game long in the rain. It was pouring in Corvallis that day, and um, you know, to see everybody storm the field and everything, it was, it was really cool. So I'm going to take it back a little further, because my favorite Civil War memory, and Carter probably wasn't even alive at this one, but the 98 Civil War, and I know you've heard about it, mm-hmm. I still have a mat out in my garage that was part of that end zone that they tore up right after the game. But that 98 Civil War, in my opinion, was the best football game I've ever seen. And that, I mean, that's, I mean, I was at the Fiesta Bowl, and there were so many games that I've seen that are really great games that stand out. But that 98 Civil War was when it finally hit that Oregon State was getting better. That 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 this team was actually turning a quarter. That was with Coach Riley was at the helm. Um, I'll never forget. So that, I graduated college in 97. And then that fall, I was able to use my student ID to, and it was back before the whole raising research. It was just a big berm. You had to walk up this big hill and then down the bleachers. So I used my ID card in 97. And the fall of 98, I could still just use my ID card and went to all the games. Because I lived in Corvallis. I was, I was working, but based out of Corvallis. And that Civil War was the very first game I bought a ticket to. I bought a ticket. We were sitting in, the, in that same berm side. Um, it was crazy. It was so much fun. So that's my favorite Civil War memory. There's been a few good ones. Um, I did pose this question last week on the pod. Remember I threw it out there and said if you had any good ones to let me know. Mike Anderson got to meet back to me on Twitter. He even sent me a picture um, of the Oregonian, I believe it is, of that win. He said, I was a manager when we won the 1993 Civil War in Eugene. J.J. Young blocked and tackled the U of O punter, and we got the ball at their 30 in the fog. We drove down and won the game with a minute or so left. I remember that game, too, because that was my freshman year at Oregon State, and I did not go to Eugene to watch the game. My family did. Isn't that crazy? My parents and my brother went to Eugene to watch the game. I was the student, but... I was still kind of, I went to all the Oregon State football games, but I still loved USC. That was like my team. And so I had watched the USC-UCLA game that USC won. And then I went to visit some friends at Western Oregon that night. And I, yeah, why in the hell was I going to Western Oregon? Well, I, what Beaver fan wants to go to Eugene anyway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but my parents went, and I remember being completely stunned when we found out Oregon State had won that 93 Civil War on the road. Anyway, um, that was a great memory. Um, I got a couple others that were fun. Um, just being there, right? Just people talking about being there. Um, we also had some good jokes that were sent that we've been posting on in the Lodge at Beaver Blitz. Um, some good Civil War some good Civil War. I like the uh, the Doritos Nacho Year. Nacho Year with, with the big picture of Mario Cristobal on the front. Yeah. E- extreme choking hazard. That extreme was, choking hazard. Yes, that, that was pretty good. So okay, let's talk a little bit. Uh, this wasn't scripted. We didn't talk about this, but okay, Oregon State is like like on the cusp of winning, being bowl eligible, and Oregon was losing. Mm-hmm. It was like Beaver fan 
was thinking this could be the best night in decades, right? Beavers win a big game, Ducks lose a big game. It would be like perfect setup. Mm -hmm. Did you watch any of the ASU Oregon game? Yeah, we were flipping back and forth between the two games and you know, I had the Oregon score pulled up as we were on the OSU game, and I'd say, oh, Justin Herbert threw another interception, and, and ASU's up by two scores now, and, you know, I kind of had this feeling where, like, okay, it's happening, like, the, Best night. the, the tides yeah. are turning a little bit, <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously it was it was fun to watch ASU pull off that upset, and you know, if Oregon State had been able to pull off that win in Pullman, it would have been a pretty special night. Yeah, it would have been big. Um, talking about Civil War a little bit. What are your thoughts here? We're a couple days away from kickoff. I know you and I, I don't think either one of us predict a win. No. But closer game than we've seen the past couple years? Yeah, I do think it'll be closer, at least for, I don't know, the first two or three quarters. The problem is, you look at Oregon's defense and you say, well, this is a top three defense that's, that Oregon State has played this year. And we've seen what's happened Um with that Beaver offense going up against the likes of Utah and Washington, they just they struggle to get any momentum. Um, you know, they have a hard time moving the ball, and I'm scared that that's going to happen again. Um, but then on the other side of the ball, I see the way Oregon State's defense has been playing, and I say they have a lot of momentum. And Oregon's offense has some weaknesses that you could exploit. We saw it last week with Herbert, a little bit of uh, inaccuracy at times. He can get a little erratic. Um, so if the Beavers can you know, get some pressure on him like they weren't able to do last mm -hmm. week against Anthony Gordon, I think the defense could have another big day and maybe keep it close for two or three quarters. But in the end, I think Oregon just has the horses yeah. that Oregon State does Yeah, they do. I mean, I, I think I, you, you named one of my keys to the game in that the, the, they have to get pressure on Herbert. Mm -hmm. Offensively, the offensive line has to have the game of their life. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to, to both, both pass pro and open up some holes for Jamar and AP. Um, if Oregon State's able to get a run game going, though. Yeah, and they have to stay balanced, because we saw it last week that the offense was firing on all cylinders, and it's something that we haven't seen a whole lot in conference play is the ability to get the pass and the run going. And part of that is because they played some pretty elite run defenses. But you know, when you get uh, both aspects of the offense going, Oregon State can score a lot of points. And fast. Yeah. So you brought up Herbert. He's gotten so much attention, mm -hmm. and he's a good quarterback. But Coach Smith this week mentioned him as a quote-unquote elite quarterback. What are your thoughts on that? This is something that I've been talking about all year. And we have. We've talked about him being in the Heisman race. And yeah. I just don't understand. I mean, good quarterback, yes. I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from him there, but he shouldn't be in the same conversation as a Joe Burrow or a Tua Tagovailoa before the injury or a Jalen Hurts or... Several other guys. No, like you said, he's a good quarterback, and I'd probably go as far as to say he's a great quarterback. But um, for a lot of the national pundits to put him in the Heisman race, to say, oh, he's a, a top 10 pick even last year, um, and, and this year saying, you know, he's a, a first round or second round pick, I just think that's, I, I think that's giving him a lot of credit for, really, we haven't seen him take over a game throughout his career at Oregon. And I look at this year and... I say you know, this year has proved to me that he's not on the same level as, as those guys that you mentioned, some of those SEC quarterbacks and, and guys like that. I look at three games in particular. Oregon has played three close games this year, the first one being uh, against Auburn in the season opener. It's a one-possession game. Oregon's offense stalls in the second half, and they lose. 
And that comes back to Herbert. Yeah. He's got to be able to lead a couple drives and, and put Oregon over the top in a game where people expected them to make a name for themselves, make a name for the conference. Uh, and then we move ahead to their game against Washington State. Again, super close. They win it on a last-second field goal. They don't win that game because of Justin Herbert. They win it because C.J. Verdell runs for 300 yards. Yeah. Right, so, I mean, yeah, sure, it was. you give the offense credit for for scoring a bunch of points and coming up with a win, but that wasn't on Herbert. And then lastly, last week, mm-hmm. their loss against ASU, I would say Herbert himself cost them the game, throwing under 50%, throwing two picks. It, it was just a, an abysmal performance for him. And you know, I think one of the measures of an elite quarterback is their ability to put the team on their back and win games. And that's something that he has not done throughout his career. Okay, you have a choice. Or, or do you take Luton? You're, you're the coach. You have to pick which quarterback do you want from the state of Oregon leading your team right now. Jake Luton or Justin Herbert? You know, I think it's a lot closer than people realize. And I've seen people on Twitter and everything say that Jake Luton's the better quarterback in the state of Oregon right now. And I think there's some truth to that. Um, I have their stats pulled up right now, and I've been kind of analyzing this throughout the week. Really, the only category that that Herbert has a considerable advantage over Luton is completion percentage. And don't get me wrong, that's really important mm-hmm. in a quarterback. But I look at the touchdowns, they're right on par. Uh, Jake Luton actually has less interceptions on more passing attempts. And yardage-wise, you know, they're, they're right about on par too. So statistically, these guys are pretty much the same. And, and I would argue that Luton's done a better job of leading his team than Herbert has done. Because like we mentioned, you know, Herbert hasn't won them any games. I'd argue that Luton's play has put Oregon State in situations to either win or compete in games that they wouldn't, um, you know, with a lesser quarterback. Yeah. Do you, where do you put Luton maybe in the top, top quarterbacks that Oregon State's had in the past 20 years? And he's up there. See that? And it's funny you say that because I, I agree, but yet you don't just think, when you're thinking Oregon State great quarterbacks, He's not going to pop in your head. Yeah, and I think a lot of that just comes to the amount of games he's played. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been kind of hampered by injuries throughout the last couple of years. He came in as, I believe, a junior, junior. and then redshirted. So, yeah, he's, he's not this four-year starter that's yeah. been here forever and, you know, garnered a, a ton of attention on the conference landscape mm-hmm. or anything like that. But when you look at his career marks... I mean, I, I look at Oregon State's game notes every week, and they, they're mentioning, you know, who he's passing, passing on the the yardage and touchdown lists, and he's up there with the likes of Derek Anderson, Sean Mannion, and, like, I mean, these are Oregon State legends. Yeah. And so he, he's right there with them. Yeah, that's, and that's, I think, I, I was just on Duck Territory has a pod, and I was on with them, and they were kind of gushing, asking questions about Luton. And I think it's, if you, you cover Oregon State and you're or you're following them super closely like we do and like the diehard fans do, you're not thinking that because you think of he will make a play that makes you think, oh my gosh, that is like the most athletic play I've ever seen, and then the next play, <laughs> your hands are in your palms saying, what the heck just happened? Yeah, yeah, and I mean for as much inconsistency as Justin Herbert has, Luton certainly has it too. I think it just comes in a different. Um, I think it shows up in a different way. Herbert's not going to take all of these 15-yard sacks, and you know he's not going to... I think that's I, the most frustrating for me, anyway, are the 15-yard the sacks. Yeah, it's... Because, I mean, he's a great passer. It's just... I think it's it's interesting because we've seen maybe a step backwards in his ability to throw the ball away. Yeah. I think 
Yeah, because earlier in the season, I thought he was better at that. Yeah, and I think maybe that comes down to um, he's shown increased mobility this yeah. year, so I think I wonder if maybe he has a little more confidence in his ability to escape the pocket, and he says, okay, I'm going to go try to make this play. Um, and in that case, he you know chooses to run it, and he ends up getting sacked, whereas the, the, the smarter play might be to throw it away. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's going to be super yeah. interesting. And for it's the, a fun matchup for sure. Yeah, and, and for the first time in probably four or five years, I'm actually like looking forward to Civil mm-hmm. War this year. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be fun. So let's talk. Have you ever been to Autzen? A long time ago. Yeah. Okay. I think I was like three or something like that. Bold. Your parents took you down when you were three? I want to say it was for a wedding reception, I believe. Oh, okay. Oh, it wasn't for a game, though. It was at the Civil oh, okay. War. Yeah, okay. it was. Okay. Yeah. But... I mean, I, I don't remember a whole lot about it, and I don't really feel the need to go down there. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? We had this discussion in Beaver Blitz yesterday, and people were talking about who's going down, and I've been to Autzen once. Mm-hmm. Now, this I am someone, I have not missed a game, a local game. I think I've missed five or six in since I was a student, and that was 93 to 97. That's I've been to a lot of games. That's dedication. Yeah, that's dedication. Um, I've been to one game at Autzen. One. And it was, well, it wasn't the worst because it was, I went in 2001. Okay. So first of all, that game was just rough. I mean, Ken Simonton was going for his 4,000 yard rushing um, season and he missed it by like 20 yards. It was sad. That was sad. Um, The Beavers just weren't, you know, as solid as they were the year before when they won the Fiesta Bowl. Um, It was kind of a disappointing season that way around. But that year, you're going to laugh. That year, the Beavers opened on the road at Fresno Mm -hmm. and I went to that game. That was probably the roughest crowd I've ever been around in a football game. In Fresno, really? Fresno. I mean, huh. we're talking bottles being chucked to the field, the most awful language you've ever heard, um, fights being picked. It was a it was a rough, rough game. And I remember looking at my husband, and I said, I'm never coming back here ever again. Fast forward to the last game of the season, Civil War. We went down, and it was when I worked at Oregon State in the athletic department. We had some booster friends um, who had invited us to go with them. Um, we tailgated at, they had a, a duck beaver tailgate, so they had family that were ducks and then we were the beavers and it was, that part of the day was super fun. We had this great time, go to the game. The game wasn't as great. And then after the game, it was like duck fan turned into complete jackass <laughs> and not all of them, but I mean, we're talking like, I am a woman and people, guys are like jumping in my face and running in front of me and swearing and it was horrible. And I looked at my husband then and I said, I'm never coming back here again. Right about on par with Fresno there, Duck fans. <laughs> Not something you want to emulate. Um, anyway, so um, before we get to quick hits, I just want to give a quick update on what to expect this week with content because we have tons of really fun content for Civil War. Um, everything's the same. I mean, we have the tale of the tape that Carter works on super hard. We have the offense versus defense, defense versus offense. Uh, Smackdown with Raju and Peter. If you do have not read Smackdown with Raju and Peter, you have to. That's always a fun read for sure. Because it's hilarious. Yeah. Um, something we've added, um, this, and it's actually turned into something pretty cool, is I had tossed out to Amy Schwartz if she wanted to check in with former football players and just kind of get their either their score prediction for the game or their favorite Civil War memory. Well, she's had such a huge response that it's going to be a three-part series. So we have the first part on today. She's spoken to Mike Doctor. Tyreek Zimmerman, Malcolm Agnew, Obum Guacham, and Kyle Pecco. And so you can check out they very thoughtful answers. It wasn't just like a go, du- go Beavs, you know, be the Ducks. They gave, gave us some insight on what it was like to play in the game. 
Uh, we also, Thanksgiving tomorrow, the big thing we've done since we started in 2002 is run a Thanksgiving War Room watch list. So not only will we get you kind of caught up where the beeves are, we'll give you kind of those top targets to kind of keep an eye on. And then Friday, our normal Friday coverage with staff picks and, and um, five keys to the game, all of that good stuff, but we'll also have a Beaver Blitz Confidential, a Black Friday Beaver Blitz Confidential. So if you're not a member, you need to be a member because that's where kind of the good stories get told from the recruiting trail or we put stuff that we typically don't put anywhere else and it just needs to stay in the lodge. There's a lot of good info in there for sure and it's always uh, kind of one of the highlights of the week or month when, when Angie posts that. So. Yeah, because I won't do it all the time and I try to do it more like once a week during football but I'm also not going to make stuff up or fabricate some stuff. So um, this isn't just me making stuff up. This is checking in with lots of sources, getting some good stories. Some of them are things that happened a while ago, and some of them are happening right now. Um, and we give you what we know, and it's all laid out for you. So sometimes we talk about other athletic departments. I have some a little nugget that's happening to another Pac-12 school that I think will be talked about in the confidential as well so that's what to look forward to this week carter and i'll be in the lodge during the game to kind of just we talk and talk about what's going on but i think we need to do a quick hit you were of six of ten last week six okay. of ten not bad not bad at all I mean, it's better than the last couple weeks but like we said last week these games are just getting a lot more unpredictable i think yeah and that's so. that's how i felt so with the pac-12 publishers at 24 7 we've been doing the power rankings mm -hmm. every week now, it's easy for me, for the top couple, because we get, it's, it's in my mind, Utah, Oregon, and then USC and Washington are kind of the three and four spot. But then after that, it's super hard now, because everybody else is beating up on everybody else. So um, this is, I know, not super easy, but we are going to get your stuff down here. Because, yeah, past couple weeks you've done 5 out of 10, 5 out of 10, 7 out of 10 at Arizona. That might have been your, your highlight. You know the drill. You know the questions. I'm not changing them. Will Luton throw for over 300 yards? No, that, that Oregon secondary is for real. I mean, that's that's a scary unit, so. They're pretty good. How about leading rusher? Jefferson. Okay. Leading receiver? Hmm. I think they're going to double-team Hodgins, and okay. I think they're going to pressure him, but I, I'm still going to go with Hodgins because I think his ability to get open. Not Togi? Um, He's he's gonna have to put together a pretty good game if the Beavers are gonna get anything going offensively. But I think Hodgins will. Okay. How about leading scorer? Hmm. After what Jefferson did last week, getting involved in the run and pass games, I think they're gonna utilize him in that in kind of the same role this week, and I think he'll find the end zone a couple times. Okay. So JJ, takeaways: Will the Beavers be over or under two? I'm gonna go with no, but I was really impressed with what I saw last week, and I think they're gonna have to repeat it. How about sacks over or under two? Probably uh, under, I think. Okay. Oregon's offensive line is arguably one of really the best good. in the country. So. Leading tackler. Avery Roberts. Okay. Going back to Avery. Kicking game over or under 50%? Over. Can we talk about Everett Hayes, by the way? Yeah, Last no week? doubt. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, his first career field goal, 47 yards on a bad snap. I was, I was really impressed. Yeah. They, they put him out there, and I said, oh, no, here we go. Yeah. But, and um, the Beavers, correct me. That was their first made field goal since, is it Utah? Or before Utah? It had to have been before Utah, I think. it's Yeah, because they only put up seven, yeah, seven points, points in that game, so it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, will the Beavers score over 35? No. Okay. But they might have to to win it. Um, will they hold Oregon to under 200 yards rushing? No. Okay. We'll see how you do. 
next week. All right. Okay, so should we do some damn questions? Yes. Okay. Of course. The This week we're going to do some questions from the lodge. We got some good ones. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read who posted them because I just I have them written down here because I think they're just good things to talk about. Um, the first one I'm gonna give to you, Carter, Isaiah Hodgins. Mm -hmm. Do you think he declares for the NFL this season or after the season? Yeah, you know, from an Oregon State perspective, it's it's kind of unfortunate to have to part ways with him, but I think, um, you know, and you've heard throughout the mm -hmm. season, and and this hasn't really changed, but his goal this year was to put together one more really solid year. And, and kind of catch the eye of some of those NFL scouts and then and then turn pro. And I think he's done more than enough this year to maybe solidify a, a top five round draft pick for himself. I mean, he's not going to improve. It's not like he's going to suddenly get faster if no. he stays another year. No. Although, how big would it be? How big? Now, Hamill Kovrashid is another one that people are talking about. I don't think he goes this year. No, I, I, think, I don't think so either. Too much that he could work on his game and really solidify getting a better spot. But how big? of a job would Jonathan Smith do if he was able to get both those guys to come back next year? It'd be huge because you'd get your best playmaker back on both sides of the ball um, and they'd be seniors next year. Seniors. I, I believe Rashid is a redshirt yep. junior yep. this year. Yeah, so so both guys would be seniors. You'd have explosiveness yeah. in the passing game and in uh, tackles for loss and sacks. I mean, that'd be huge to get both I, guys I, back. I, I can't even describe how big that would be. Mm -hmm. That Somebody in the lodge mentioned that that would be Jonathan Smith's biggest recruiting win. Yeah, and, I, and I fully expect at least one of them to come back. I think Rashid is, I don't want to say a shoe-in to come back, but I think he has a lot more to prove than yeah. Hodgins does. Like uh, I said, Hodgins has already proven that he is a, an excellent route runner. Right. Um, that he just his biggest knock is going to be his speed, and he's not going to get that much faster coming back. And that's what you see at the receiver position oftentimes is, you know, maybe only one year is all you need because you show your footwork skills, you show your ability to, to jump and make catches, catches over defenders. On the defensive side, a lot of that can kind of come back to scheme. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Beavers play really aggressively, so maybe a lot of Rashid's sacks, are, and, and I don't want to take away from his skills yeah, yeah. because he's very fast, he's very strong, don't get me wrong. But He yeah. could get stronger, though. I mean, exactly. Yeah. He, he has a lot more that he can improve on yeah. individually. And um, if the Beavers have a better year, exactly. that could possibly yeah. you know help his stock, too. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he has a bigger ceiling as far as what another year could do to improve and that's, his stock. that's pretty scary to think yeah. about, that he can, you know, improve on... On already on, a na national leader. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about, well, Ham's, Ham's injury. I, yeah. I don't know what he did. It looks like a broken bone to me, but I don't know. We don't know. We keep getting asked this. Nobody seems to want to talk about what happened, so I'm guessing it must have happened in practice yeah, last well, week. Um, we really got no indication before the game that he was injured. Um, on Monday, the, the topic of his injury came up in Smith's press conference. He never mentioned, you know, what that injury was. But obviously, it, it has something to do with his hand, whether it's a finger, a hand injury, or his wrist. You know, I don't know, but it it was clearly, you know, hindering his ability to uh, get into the backfield. Because I remember on one particular uh, instant replay. They show him going going up against an offensive lineman, and you know normally you you kind of break the block with two hands, and you know maybe do a swim move or something to get around him, and and you see Rashid go up with one hand to try to you know move him around or something, and you just can't do that, especially against you know a, a huge offensive lineman. You're going to need both hands to get around a guy, and you know when you have a, a club on one hand, you just you can't get any leverage there, and 
I mean, it played a difference in the game. If, I, I feel like if the Beavers get a sack or two, it's it's a different game, and you know maybe they come up with a stop there on the last drive. I I don't know, and I'm not going to blame it on Rashid for not being healthy because you know it's out of his control. But I think if he's healthy, it's it's a huge difference maker. Yeah, definitely. The other question that I thought was really good, um, looking at some of the questions that we do in our Wednesday chat at Beaver Blitz, had to do with recruiting, and have have the Beavers gotten better at recruiting? So there's a lot of ways you can take that. Um, you know, I think the transfer portal's huge. I definitely think, you know, what did we say? Five of their recent transfers from the last year, year and a half, um, would rank in the top 10 all time at Oregon State. Recruiting. That's pretty impressive. That's impressive. Those are high caliber players yeah. coming in. All yeah. at the same all time. All of them no at the same time. So, um, but, so I took it, I got this, this question and I had a few minutes before Carter got here. So I started kind of digging around a little bit and it was surprising. So I looked, and right now Oregon State is ranked ninth in the conference, but their average per per player uh, ranking ranks out to a .8466. Okay, mid three star, right? You know, I mean, that's pretty good. That when I went back, I started going back and back and back because I want to see when the next highest was. You would have to go all the way back to 2010 signing class to get a higher ranked class. We're talking classes in there ranked .8170. That's not very good, guys. No. So um, in 2010, Oregon State's class ranked at an 8501. So Jonathan Smith, and, and since he's been here, we've seen it jump from 2018 uh, would have been that first class that he had barely kind of had to kind of hang on to, Gary Anderson. It was an 8332. Last year's class ranked at it as an 8455. And now right now, as we stand, 8466. So I, I'm looking at this list, and I see one thing that jumps out to me is this isn't just one year. This is two years, two years. of Smith being here. This is sustained uh, two years of being ab- really above anything we've seen. In anything the past we've seen in the last decade, decade. Um, because both of and these. And this are... is not including JC or the transfer portal. Exactly, and you know those guys would obviously inflate the numbers, and there's obviously transfers every year, and you might see some of the numbers go up, but the the level of transfers that are coming in now under Smith yes. is so much higher than anything we've ever seen. Uh, so, no, I mean, it, no, it, it would definitely inflate that number to even higher. And, and 2020 is not a done deal yet because mm-hmm. I could see someone like Isaiah Newell getting bumped up. I mean, that kid's just been doing amazing at, at this year, putting up huge numbers. Where he was hindered was that he didn't go to any camps to get any of the, the official measurement times. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't get his, his 40 and all that. But um, I could see him getting a bump to a, a four-star. We've had people also kind of wringing their hands about recruiting. I see Oregon State taking five more guys. Um, in this class, I see two of those being junior college defensive backs. Um, they did lose Samuel Peacock a week or so ago. He flipped to Washington. So I, I see an offensive tackle being really important to replace that. Um, and then, gosh, I mean, the transfer portal, you're still in on it with Theo Howard and Jack Sears. I, I just think Beaver fans need to kind of take a step back and kind of take a deep breath because Oregon State's not going to be a school that's getting five stars all the time. They're not mm-hmm. going to be. And first of all, there's only like twenty to twenty-five five stars in a given year. Um, it's just not their mo to be grabbing five star guys. But what they can do, and and then as I mentioned in the lodge, there's not a huge difference when you're looking at a, a mid to high three star and a low four star. Mm-hmm. It's really about how you project them, how they fit your team culture, how they develop and grow, you know, and just. You can't have misses. And so that's where I think it's important that you look for guys that have other Power 5 offers. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it really comes into play. And Oregon State's getting that now. I mean, I remember looking back a few years ago under Gary Anderson, and, and Oregon State had players 
that had no Power 5 offers. Mm -hmm. Nothing against those guys, right? I mean, those guys have been doing, you know, lots of things at Oregon State and trying their hardest, but when you're going up against other guys that have Power 5 offers, that just kind of validates the fact that they're big, bigger, faster, stronger, ready to go. And, you know, I, I think another part of this that sometimes goes um, kind of by the wayside is player development. Once these guys exactly. are on campus, Oregon State's coaches are really, really good at developing what they have. Um, I look at, like, Coach Petrie with the running backs and uh, Blue Even, Adams in the yeah, secondary. secondary. Hinson. I mean, yeah, exactly, with the receivers. I mean, these guys are these are some of the best position, position coaches in the conference. And, you know, they're turning these recruits into, into star players. And they're turning previous coaches' recruits into star players as well. And, you know, I, I don't want to say the previous coaching staffs didn't have this ability to, you know, make the most of what they had. But I think this staff is doing exactly that. Now, I want to ask you this. Because, granted, our body of work is only two years or a year and almost a, a full two years. Mm -hmm. So... I, I will flat out say I was not a huge uh, supporter when they brought Jonathan Smith on as head coach. I just didn't know if he was ready. I didn't know if he had what it took to be a head coach. Mm -hmm. After two years, what I'm seeing as far as how he's changed culture and how, what he's doing X's and O's wise, um, I'm going to make a bold statement, Carter. You, don't know, you didn't know I was going to say this. Uh, what is it? I think he's a better coach right now mm -hmm. or has the potential to be a better coach than Mike Riley. Wow, yeah, that's bold. Um, I I kind of agree. Whoa! From from what we've seen, <laughs> no, I mean from what we've seen from year one to year two. Like I said, it's a it's a total small body of work. Oh yeah, and it, it's still really really early, but yeah, I could see. I don't know. It's so hard to look at the future. And, and but but go back. So one of the big knocks, Beaver fan, I want you to think about this for a minute. One of the big knocks on Coach Riley was the fact that he was kind of passive. Oh yeah. Would would play prevent defense, he would get kind of conservative, and that drove you crazy, Beaver fan. I know for a fact it drove you completely crazy. So now they have a coach in Jonathan Smith who is aggressive and is going to take a chance, and that's driving you crazy. Mm -hmm. I will take that aggressive coach 10 times over yeah. a passive coach. No, you live and die by it, and... I mean, we've seen that in back-to-back -back weeks. Oregon yeah. State gets a one-point uh, one win and then a one-point loss because they go forward on fourth down. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I may be in the minority here, but I know you agree with me. Going forward on fourth down late in the game with the lead, with with the team that we have right now, that's the right decision because, I mean, say what you want. And They'd I, already put up 600 yards of offense. Exactly. And you know, I said this in our he said, mm -hmm. she said feature. Say what you want about Smith not trusting his defense. Do you trust the defense to stop Washington State from going, I don't know, 75 yards in a minute? Because I don't. I don't either. And and we saw them, you know, do it not necessarily in that short amount of time throughout the game. But, I mean, Mike Leach has a play for every single down and distance. And, you know, Oregon State's defense is just not at, at that level yet to stop such an efficient passing attack yeah. and so I think 10 times out of 10 you put the offense back out there you trust your guys and I mean let's be honest the play was drawn up perfectly mm -hmm. receiver was open enough Luton just you know didn't put the ball right to his chest right and... question maybe is the second and third down calls yeah because no, Jefferson I... looked like there I don't know if he was it looked like he wasn't quite as powerful as he'd been earlier in the game yeah and Smith actually addressed that on Monday he said you know we we had seen what he'd been mm -hmm. able to do all game long, and you know, we trusted that that was just going to keep working, and it didn't. It and didn't. it doesn't always work. It doesn't always and work. Yeah. 
you just you trust your offense and you you put them out there. But and players want to play. I mean, you play basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to play for a coach that believes in you and mm-hmm. believes you can get it done. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Coach Smith does. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the culture aspect that you, that you mentioned. This, the culture around this program is just vastly different than what it has been. And I think the fans can feel it. Yeah, and I know. Definitely. I know the players do. I mean, they even I, I heard even this in a flight loss, home was one of the roughest ones yeah. yet because it was like legit loss. It yeah. wasn't like oh yeah, we always lose. This was like gut punch. Yeah. But it made them come back, and I think now they're. I've heard it's been a good week of practice so far. So. I don't think they really need much motivation for Civil War. No, I, these coaches, I mean, they do such a great job at learning from mistakes and learning from you know, learning in a win, learning in a loss. And they mention this every week. They're going to analyze the tape and they're going to figure out what worked and what didn't. And they're going to rep it all week in practice. And the guys are 100% bought in. I mean, and there's got to be we some see that every week. effort. I mean, they've got their ass kicked the past two years. Mm-hmm. No other way to say it. I mean, no, I 69 mean, to 10. I mean, these games against a lot of the opponents that they're either beating or staying close, well, just look to last year. They were losing to some of these teams by 40 points. No. Yeah. it's It'll be different. It'll be a different game. Uh, Matt Chiafoni does ask, where does OSU stand with a JUCO DB not named Jonathan Riley, also who replaces Elu Iden at nose tackle next year? I think Jordan Whitley slides in. Yeah, I think so too. And then you get Charles Moore. And Charles Moore will be on one end. Um, and then probably, I would say Simon, Simon Sandberg. Sandberg. And then yeah. Isaac, Isaac Hodgins, too. Yeah. Little, I, we call him Little Hodgins, but <laughs> not so little. Um, little Hodgins. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't worry necessarily about... Um, that's been another question in the lodges about rec- or offensive line. Mm-hmm. And I know Beaver fans are a little concerned, but I think they need an O-tackle, a, a prep O-tackle. But you forget they have Jacob Frenzy coming, back, coming in. He was a gray shirt. I know they lose three guys that have tons and tons of reps, but I, this is how I, I kind of in my head have it penciled out. We'll talk about this more, you know, as we get closer after the season, but this is my kind of like, I think you get Josh Gray, who's been number two left tackle all season. I think he slides in at left tackle. I think Noose moves over to one of the guards mm-hmm. positions. You get Nate Eldridge at center. And then, I mean, gosh, we've seen Levin good play some this year. We've seen... Um, Onesimus-Clark. Onesimus-Clark. Montabon will be back. Brandon Kipper, of course. Kipper, of course. So, I mean, there's guys that are going to be... I think the two deep is actually okay. Brandon um, Co. Thomas Co. has played a couple Mm -hmm. true freshmen this year. Well, and think about it this way. A lot of people going into this year were really concerned about the offensive line. And to be honest, I didn't see any room for concern going in because I I looked at the left side. We know what we're getting out of Brandel and Lavaca. And then you know you're going to have a stud at center in Eldridge, and if, if Noose beats him out yeah. like he's done, yeah. you know he's going to be good. And then the right side, I mean, we've seen flashes of, of really dominance from Kipper and Cordasco, mm-hmm. and I think there's guys buried on the depth chart be- behind really, really talented guys that just haven't been able to show what they're capable of yet. And, you know, we saw this a little bit in fall camp. There's not really much of a drop-off in production when they bring the second group in. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see them give up a bunch of sacks or anything like that. So, no, I, I really don't see a whole lot of cause for concern there. But you know, And I'll... and you were talking about coaches getting the most out of their... And I think you forgot one. Because yeah. I think Jim Holacek yeah. might be... He might be the best, best actually. Best coach, yeah. O-line coach in the conference. And, and that'll be something we talk about in the um, Beaver Blitz Confidential a little bit on Friday, as I teased earlier. Um I've got some insight from from someone I really respect on that. 
talking about Coach Malachuk and just what a, first of all, what an amazing evaluator of talent he is, but second of all, just what he gets out of his players. So, Carter, Civil War, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, we will be back next week with another episode of The Damn Podcast. Thanks for listening.